Being a CISO is like waging a never-ending chess game against players you don't know, can't see, and attack without warning. On this podcast, cybersecurity experts have a pragmatic dialogue on cyber risk, current attacks, and security trends. Welcome to the CISO's Gambit. We're joined today by Dr. Helmuth Ludwig and Lauren Wise. Dr. Helmuth Ludwig serves as board member for Hitachi and Humanetics Group. Previously, he led Siemens Global Technology as CIO and led Siemens Industry Sector in North America as CEO. He was also president of Siemens PLM Software. Dr. Ludwig is a co-author of the book, Cybersecurity, Seven Steps for Boards of Directors, which was released in October 2020. 23, and has been Professor of Practice for Strategy and Entrepreneurship at Southern Methodist University. Lauren Wise is Senior Director, Global Executive Advisory at Zscaler, where she leads global efforts to foster education and development of C-suite and board-level individuals. Lauren leads Zscaler's Board of Director Community Engagements, which include board-level knowledge expansion to understand an organization's cyber risk posture, board-level accountability on matters of cyber risk, Oversight, and Zero Trust Based Foundation for Board Members. Helmuth and Lauren, thank you very much for coming on to the show today. I'm excited to hear about your latest book. Great. Thanks for having us. Very good, Sean. Happy to be here. There's been a lot of positive discussion since the release of the book. Uh, it's been out now, what, a month and a half? Is that right? Yeah, beginning of October. So a month, actually. Yeah, just a month, right? The book is titled Cybersecurity, Seven Steps for Boards of Directors. And I saw the photos all over LinkedIn and the positive response that was given at the NACD event. There's this great photo with you, Helmuth, your co-author, Andy Brown, and Lauren with other board members and contributors holding the book up. And it was pretty cool to see that because it, it tells me that there's a need here and excitement around the topic. With what you've observed and the reason that inspired you to approach this topic, what were the things that led you to believe that this was necessary? And what do you believe is driving the interest? Very good question. Let me add to it. Andy Brown, the co-author of the book, who was actually at one of the panels at the NACD. The NACD is the National Association of Corporate Directors. And that's their annual event where they bring more than 1,000 corporate directors together. It was really interesting to see the very strong interest in cybersecurity. And now coming to your point, where does it come from? And I would say it comes from three different directions. Number one is there were some major breaches in the last years and, and months. I mean, one which is, again, in the press uh, very strong in the last days was SolarWind, uh, which hit many, many different companies. Uh, Colonial Pipeline is one which was broadly in the press. They had to pay a ransom of 4.4 million US dollars. And this had effects across the, the, the oil and gas industry and, and several consumers in the oil and gas industry. And, and these are only, it's only the peak of the iceberg. The reality is probably almost any entity of a certain size has experienced some breach and has experienced an unfriendly attack. Now, this comes naturally into the boardroom, usually through the CISO or the CEO who informs the board about this. In the worst of all cases, it comes into the boardroom through the press, as we have seen in the other topics. So number one is clearly increase in breaches, and they come from different organizations. They're state-sponsored hackers, and they are, of course, our criminal 
uh, entities that think that this is a great opportunity to get a stable income stream from their point of view. The second part is the regulatory environment. The regulatory environment becomes much stricter around cybersecurity. The SEC just came out with a new regulation which requires very fast response from the company and specifically from the board and to inform that there has been a breach if it's of any material character. Now, there's still quite some discussion where does materiality start, but I think for especially our listeners and being professionals in the cybersecurity environment, it's absolutely critical to make sure that as soon as anything in this regard has happened, that they inf- make sure that the, their leadership is informed and, and, and if necessary, of course, also the board of directors. And the third element, I would say, is, is everything that's happening on the technology side. Several years ago, we all spoke about Industry 4.0, digital transformation. What does it mean at the end for companies? It means that for them to be competitive in their specific industry, it's not only a question of providing the best services and products to their customers, but to enhance them with software, data analytics. So meaning elements that are typically offer potential for cybersecurity breaches. Now, with, with this additional complexity that not only high-tech companies, really very traditional companies are now exposed to, they do have such a completely different attack surface which offers opportunity for hackers, meaning from a company perspective, very significantly increased risk. And I would say these are probably the three key areas that lead to this heightened interest on board of directors. But I would say the same you would see on the executive level, which then translated for, I think, our profession in the cybersecurity environment is a fantastic opportunity. Because there is obviously more interest, then there's also more willingness to spend time and ideally all the resources to make companies much more cyber resilient. And that's some, one of the topics we discussed intensively with, with the, our colleagues on, on different board of directors, for example, at the NACD event. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to add that typical questions and comments that came up from members while at the summit, as well as what we've recently received in conversations with board members is really down to the basics, which might be interesting for a, a CIO or a CISO, the likes to know that's what their board members are asking. And it was about, I need to know the foundational aspects on cyber to be able to have a good conversation about it. I need to know what cyber questions to ask the executive team. I want to understand where the cyber accountability lies and how much time should we really be spending on cyber as a boardroom topic? So those are the questions that board members are asking of Helmuth and Andy as the authors and in cyber organizations such as Eastgiller, which is very telling. There's a momentum and growth of interest in the boardroom on the topic. And right now, people just want to be better informed to be able to make a positive impact. I think this new body of work that you have created, Helmuth, along with Andy and Lauren, you and your team, has really been a long time coming based upon my observations of the industry for the last 20-some years. Having daily conversations myself with other security leaders and executives, I shared with them the book and they're like, this is awesome. I didn't know that this was a thing. And I said, well, that's why I'm sharing it with you because I think you should check this out. 
But uh, somebody asked me uh, when I sent them the link, they said, why did this take so long? They said, why is it that only now we're seeing, and I know that's a very broad statement that they were making, but they had said, well, we've all been living and struggling in this space for such a long time. Why did it take so long for something like this to percolate and put it in terms that makes it even more relevant for board members and for the executives that serve those boards? Sean, this, this is actually a great question, but maybe let me, let me turn around the question a little bit. And, and I think the challenge, and, and I hope I'm allowed to say this as a former CIO, the challenge of us working in, in IT and deeply in IT is sometimes our language. And sometimes we get so carried away in our own world, in our own terms, and we understand each other. Now, that's great. The challenge sometimes is how do you translate this to somebody who has a very natural, strong curiosity and board members, good board members, are extremely well educated on asking good questions. But very often they are not in the lingo of some specific subject matter, like for example, IT or cybersecurity. What we observed was that there was a lot of very good, excellent literature out there speaking about cybersecurity, speaking about cyber resilience, but very often in a lingo, which was very hard to translate into a boardroom discussion. And honestly, I, I experienced this myself in both sides, coming from the function, IT and cybersecurity, but also sitting in the boardroom, that um, we sometimes try to talk to each other and we don't fully understand each other because we speak on different levels. We use so many defined expressions of our subject matter, cybersecurity and IT, that, that a board member just gets confused. And I think this was an observation that we had. And so when we came together, Andy and, and other colleagues working on, on this book, we said it has to be written in, in a form that it's actually educational to a certain extent, meaning Yes, it ex you find terms in there like attack surface, but we always translate this into something which is very close to everybody's heart. Meaning, you understand when when you bring a visitor into a company, you also you know the question is your address. Of course, your address is public, but do you show all the different entrances? Can you reduce the entrances that are shown? Can you reduce your attack surface in a cyber world? So we always made sure that we translated the different expressions into something which is generally understandable without losing, of course, the importance and the criticality of the subject itself. And I think this was a recognition which we had. It was not that the topics are unknown. It was more a translation into the language that can be used in a board meeting without losing actually the core content of the subject. Lauren, uh, what's your view on this? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the book did a great job in starting from a very educational foundational nature to be able to to teach that. But I also think that there's been a movement around analytics of cyber risk and bringing together all the data that would influence what cybersecurity risk is onto a single platform so that technology leaders are able to take that information and then bubble it up so you're exemplifying that full risk to the board in a, in a good, presentable manner. I don't think that was always the case, and not all tools exist in-house for many organizations today, and they might be investing in them or starting to look into that, but that, that 
also brings a gap into how they were able to show across many different disparate data, different technology systems and solutions. When it comes to something like financial risk, we talk about that in the book, how you can you could probably easily pull together a financial risk visual when it's spread across different areas. But when it comes to cyber risk, it's much more complex to be able to drill that down on a certain baseline and then present about it. This idea of the translation to the board members is something that is very resonant with me. And the inverse, I think, is also true. We had Dawn Marie Hutchinson, the uh, global CISO of British American Tobacco. She's considered one of the top 20 CISOs in the world. And she is the only CISO that I am currently aware of that went through the NACD certification. And she shared with us that for her, it was a continuing step, a natural step from her MBA education, her existing technical education, to be even more resonant with her stakeholders. From your perspectives, are those also skills that are lacking? And if so, is the perspective that Don Marie had shared and going through the NACD certification, is that where you would suggest that leaders get started to further expand their education and helping with that translation? Yeah, I, th I think the training opportunities out there, there's a lot of educational opportunities. So finding the right ones is important. The NACD seems to do a great job and other organizations globally will do as well. But I don't think it's necessary that every single board member has that detailed understanding around cyber, especially important within the audit committee and, and those subcommittees that are overseen the cyber activities of an organization and being able to to weigh in on it is helping them make better informed decisions and conversations. So it's just like anything when we say on cyber, it should be a continuous journey for board members as well to continue their learning because the cyber industry is changing and the external threats are changing. So they got to stay up to speed always. Yeah. And then uh, I think Lauren brings up a very important point. Um, which, which also addresses whom, whom we wrote this book actually for. And it's not for the board cyber specialist. Yes, there are boards that have some board members as members that have very deep cyber security knowledge, specifically in, in high-tech companies. That's not the, the normal situation. Some, some boards do somebody, but, but at the end of the day, the board responsibility is a common responsibility. And so we wrote this book actually for all board members um, sitting, like Lauren just pointed out, in the audit or risk committee, but also board members that are neither in the audit or risk committee, maybe in the nomination committee or in the, in the compensation committee, because although there are important elements that they have to consider, you know, how do you make sure you, you not only attract the right talent, but you keep the right talent? How do you make sure that in your, your governance regulations, you have covered all the requirements that are relevant for, for your company, be it uh, the, the NIST framework, be it, the, of course, the, the SEC requirements, they are the, the obvious ones. And so the, on, so the book, I would say, address C we have is every boardman. But then there is a second element in here, and that might be more interesting, actually, for the listeners of our podcast here today. It's also very helpful for the cyber and IT professionals. Because when you read through this book, it reminds you, how do you actually address a board member? 
And the example I just gave you before that we translate some of the descriptions, which we usually use in an IT or cyber world, we, we try to translate those into a business situation or just a real personal life situation to make it more relatable to a board member's experience. And this is, I think, uh, really critical. We, we always have to think in the chair of the person we are talking to. And um, I hope that CISOs will be more and more in the boardroom and they will be more and more asked to, to give updates on their status. And, um, and I hope that board members will ask not only questions, but the right questions that are actually helpful and that drive new insights. Now, board members bring one element usually with them, which is really critical in this regard. Many of them sit on, on very different boards and have experience in very different industries. And learning from others is a fantastic opportunity. You can learn from your own mistakes and your own breaches, but it's so much better if you learn from breaches and mistakes that happen somewhere else. And this, this cross-industry fertilization that you usually find in the boardroom, if you can also use this for the cyber environment, has a very, very positive effect. But this is something which the, the, the CISO and the CIO also have to make sure that they have when they are asked to present in the boardroom, that they give room for this, for this discussion. And that they really make sure that they're not just throwing their scorecard up and, and trying to get out of this room as fast as possible, but to have a real dialogue around the activities inside the company to protect the company and to increase the resilience against potential attacks. Helmuth, you mentioned the areas within the book that addresses the actual board and some of the differences there. It would be interesting to understand a little bit from your point of view and Lauren, your point of view as well. What are the differences that you both have observed in terms of how the cybersecurity responsibilities, the risk management responsibilities between the board versus the executive leadership team, how those are different or how they vary? Would you be able to give us some perspectives on how you both see those differences showing up in the real world? Yeah, let, let me kick this off and I turn it over to Lauren. Um, there's a very simple rule which, which I think is extremely helpful to differentiate, as you described, the role of the director and the role of executive management. The role of the director is nose in, hands off. What does this mean translated? It, it really means a good board of directors focuses on asking the right questions. They, they really want to generate an understanding, where is this company? Are we developing in the cybersecurity field? Are we developing further? Are we focusing our investments on the right areas? Do we have the right people in place? To my friend CISOs out there, every presentation to, to the board is a test. You know, are you the right person for this job? So I don't want to make it more and more difficult for you, but the, honestly, that's a role of the board of directors to make sure the right people are on the bus and they're sitting on the right, in the right seat on the bus. So this is usually where, where board of directors come in, in their oversight role. And that's what they have. They have an oversight role, meaning they have to make sure that a company informs adequately their investors, represent the investor community, first of all, and plus and other stakeholders. But first of all, the investors. So they have to make sure, is there information which is material, which the company has, which their investors should know? 
if you if you just think of this simple term, and you can you can use this in any context in business opportunities and in, in business risks and in, in in other areas um, expansion of your business, it's always a question: Is there something materially happen which investors should know, which they should have a right to know? And if if you think this through from this angle. Then probably, if you invest um, hundred thousand dollars in a new cyber tool, probably not necessarily investor relevant. If you're hacked and you're you're not able to perform your business for a week or even longer, highly relevant for your investors and the board of directors in their oversight and its oversight role has to make sure that, especially now with the formality of the SEC ruling. In a very short time horizon, in this specific case, it's four days to inform the investor community adequately around this material breach. So the, the, the role of the board is oversight, is making sure that the right communication goes to the, to the right stakeholders. But they also have a role in making sure, as I described before, that the right people are in the right place in the company to be able to generate um, a positive return for their shareholders. And, and that's something which which helps enormously if you always think through the moment where you have interaction with the board, that the board of directors wants to make sure they want you to be successful. Because if you're successful, the company will be successful. There will be no surprises. They want to avoid surprises. So if you always think it through in this regard, how can I educate my board of directors more about what we're doing, that we are doing here the right things, how we are advancing, and how we compare to others? And there, I would strongly recommend to using, for example, the NIST framework is extremely helpful, but also benchmark data. And you also want to have your internal scorecard always ready to show where are you developing further. And Helmut, I, I appreciate how you've talked in the past too about it's not just what's being discussed, it's what's not being discussed in the boardroom. So what's not being discussed might be you know, what is our true cyber risk exposure where are the most vulnerabilities in the organization that aren't being covered right now and we're not able to, maybe from a financial, a talent perspective? And how vulnerable are we really to a cyber attack? Are we prepared if we are to be attacked? And what's the plan of action of the board? What's the plan of action for the organization as a whole? And so those types of conversations might not be being had today. And, and, it, and it should between a CISO or a technology leader in the board. Yeah, and, and Lauren, let, let me add to this. I think that's a great point. The members of, of the board of directors, they used to work with defined frameworks. Of course, uh, usually financial data, very clearly defined with, with internal and external audit. So, so they very much used to, to read the, the monthly and quarterly statements to make sure that in the communication in a 10Q and 10Ks or the, the adequate communication goes out, that's, that's a standard procedure they feel very comfortable with. What they might not feel that comfortable with is this a little more undefined cyber environment. So our role as, as cyber experts is to try to get as close as possible to a standardized reporting. And that's what I was referring to before with you want to have a scorecard. And in our book, we, we talk about an, a scorecard for organizational risk score, in which, which shows the attack surface, how you're the risk of being compromised, lateral propagation, and data loss. Now, before we throw this 
scorecard out to our readers, support members, we first explain in, in plain English what actually those four topics mean. So we, we bring our board members very close hold to, to those topics. And that's what I would recommend always. The moment where you use a framework, where you use a scorecard, make sure that it's really fully understood what do these terms mean. But when you have introduced a framework and a scorecard like this, that's an excellent tool to really demonstrate in every interaction you have that you're actually improving your company's exposure situation. And by making sure that you always use a similar reporting structure, you create trust because people know, number one, you know your business. Number two, you're improving. And number three, ideally, you have some external benchmarks which show that actually the company is on track. That creates confidence and trust by, by board members. And then when you, when you turn around and say, look, we have here an area where we're actually relatively weak, but we need to cover this. We need a certain investment. This high probability, you have very open ears and ideally an adequate capital allocation decision, which is then supported from the board when executive management does these investments. One of the things that I hear a lot from CISOs that are stepping into an existing security program. And let's just use one, for example, straw man example, organization that has not had a publicly reported breach at the time. Let's just use that as an example. New CISO comes in and they observe, and I've seen this many times uh, across different organizations and so have others, that perhaps the things that have been reported up and out to the board or the audit committee are not as accurate as they should have been. And one thing that has come up over and over again, and I've known individuals that have actually resigned over this, where if they're reporting into, let's say, a CIO that has been in place for a while, and this has been happening technically under their watch, they get very concerned about bringing these issues up because they feel that becomes a career limiting move. And I've seen it where CISOs are let go because maybe they're being a little too noisy. I've also seen it where CISOs say, I don't want to have any part of this. I'm stepping away. With the boards becoming much more aware of not only the stakes and the impacts that can happen due to a lack of transparency, what would either of you advise uh, or simply provide as a perspective to a brand new security leader stepping into an organization that perhaps historically has struggled with that full transparency? And how might they either engage with the board or engage through another mechanism to help them safely report these things to the appropriate leadership so action can be taken? Great question, Ashan. I think you have to differentiate between facts and interpretation. And the first step is to say, look, these are the different KPIs we look at. And usually you get very fast agreement. And especially if you're, if you're new in the job, people want you to, to be successful and they also want you to be very clear in what you're looking at. If you have agreed on the KPIs, the next step is to measure them. You're still in fact land. Um, so if you, if you have your scorecard clear and you measure those or your, as we call it here, organizational risk score, it's just a factual description of the current situation. Now, the interpretation might be different. 
Now, now you're somebody who has been in the role for a long time, might not like the facts and might interpret them as something risky potentially for their personal career, but they can't change the facts. Now, what they can do, and that what what I would expect, and I personally have seen, that um, then, uh, for example, if the CISA reports to a CIO, that the CIO takes this information and says, well, I got to change something here. So it's great to have a new CISO who really creates this transparency. Now we have to talk about which kind of investments we do to make the changes that are necessary. And um, I've seen this personally in, in, in one of my boards where we had an exchange on the, the CISO side. Now there, it was a little simpler because the CISO had a direct uh, reporting line, which they actually very often have to the chair of the audit committee, a dotted line. And in this case, to the CFO, here's a, the CISO reported to the CFO in some organizations, it's a, it's a CTO or the CEO, but in this case, it was the CFO and he actually created this transparency. And what happened shortly after a breach, and this was the opportunity for the CISO to shine because what the CISO did was having created the transparency and having really a very fast learning curve on where the weaknesses of the organizations are, where the strengths of the organization are, um, he became the trusted partner of the CFO. And through this, also of the chair of the audit committee, and finally the whole board, reported several times to the board on this topic. And we could also all see the enormous competence this individual brought to the table and that the person did not shy away from addressing the critical topics. And I think this is one of the personality traits any successful CISO needs to have. They should never shy away from bad news. Actually, another board chair I, I, I enjoy working with, he, he always says, look, good news is no news. Bad news is good news. What he means by this is the moment we do have the bad news on the table, we can do something about it. And, and we need an, an, an environment of psychological safety where people feel comfortable talking about the bad news. And good executives and definitely good board members, they appreciate this kind of interaction because then they know there's somebody there who, who will not sugarcoat a critical situation, who will really create transparency on the facts. And then we can discuss what, what does it mean from an interpretation perspective? Did we miss out of investments in the past? Don't we have the right people in place? Or was this an issue which we all hadn't seen? So let's let's now go forward and make sure that we are covered going for the future. We can't change the past, but we can work on the future. And that's usually where, where, where good IT professionals and especially cybersecurity professionals shine and create trust of the executive management and of support. I like how you talked about that transparency, and I agree with that. It's, it's kind of bucking it into that technology transparency, financial transparency, and then into those non-technology factors like the skill sets and the communications and the culture around the organization of cyber. Because as you're coming into organization, you should be able to get your head around all those three areas. And I also think that partnering with your business organization leaders would be very important. I know Helmuth has has talked about that in, in length as well of, of that being a successful initiative to do as you're going up to the board. So 
making sure that you're aligned with the initiatives of the business and their growth objectives and being able to position cyber in a way of this is in this is the goal to help them achieve those initiatives and outcomes so we are wanting to transform the future to be able to enable them to do their jobs better and grow the company from a broader perspective on this uh, bad news is good news i know that for a lot of the audience that uh, are dealing with this this challenge right now especially in the light of some of these indictments that we're seeing coming down from federal agencies uh, i think both of your words are encouraging and likely very appreciated by folks that are at the moment thinking through what do i do with this potential mess that i have on my hands where do you both see the impact of some individuals looking at jail time right now we've seen this with two very large organizations high profile organizations where the senior executives specifically the CISO, are being called into account for a variety of reasons. How do you see that spreading to the remainder of the executive leadership team, certainly within IT, and also across the board? Because it begs the question, going back to one of the points you made earlier, Helmuth, which is nose in, hands off, ask great questions. These are actual things that need to be explored by the board. And the sign of a good board member is not only that they're highly experienced and intelligent and capable, but they're also very curious and driving for more clarity, more understanding. That implies then in certain organizations that perhaps that wasn't the case, that those things weren't being done. What would you both say in terms of the things that are happening today, how that might change? It, it seems you're specifically addressing um, the latest information on on the SolarWinds case, which just came out uh, yesterday, as the day before yesterday, Monday, actually, uh, was from the SEC. And, and I think it describes, I, I cannot judge on what specifically happened in this situation. But when you, when you read through the, the, the SEC release, what they're addressing is exactly what we discussed before, missing transparency and overselling cybersecurity, existing cybersecurity inside the company. And I think that's, that's the most important part coming back again to, to many of our listeners here today. My strong recommendation is make sure you're very transparent and you're clear on where, where the company is standing. And your executive team might not like this information, but if it's factual, it's factual. And, uh, and it's, it's our role to be very transparent on the factual situation. Then we can talk about the actions to take. And it seems from, again, only outside in, only from what I read from the, the SEC uh, communication, it seems that this is exactly what has not happened at SolarWinds. Now, the good news around this is that this goes now, this, this announcement is very public. It's sitting in, in, in boardrooms, it's sitting with executive teams, it's sitting with, with uh, us as CISOs and CIOs. So um, many people will analyze this to detail in coming to, you, to your question, Sean, and will take the conclusions out there. And my personal hope is 
that the conclusions is going in three directions. Number one is transparency is what matters most. Number two is it's not enough to have transparency. You have transparency on the right topics. So what are actually the topics you're looking at? What are the, the data you want to analyze? What is the scorecard? And, and the third is the willingness to make sure that the investments in human capital investments in technology uh, are actually done that helps a company to be better protected and to be more resilient. We talk about this in length in the book in terms of the ownership and responsibility over cyber. And I think that's a great way to start for all organizations to start reframing and having that conversation with the broader C-suite and the board on who really owns that accountability over cyber and who should be involved. So it shouldn't just be the CISO. You need to start looking into the CEO and the CFO and the other individuals on the exec team to have that accountability, to be able to understand where those vulnerabilities are and be able to analyze it in a different way. That's that's extremely important. And, and Sean, when we're talking technology, so we, we purposefully added a chapter in, in the book uh, on technology. And um, I have to admit, I there, there comes some personal experience. So when... Uh, I was CIO at Siemens. One of my uh, team members came up and said, look, we have to invest heavily into a zero trust concept. And honestly, at the beginning, this was completely misunderstood by, by myself, but also by, uh, by the executives. They said, well, what do you mean zero trust? Of course we trust. You know, yeah, well, not really. So trust, but verify. And then, of course, all our listeners today know this, but this when the concept was first discussed, I think there was a lot of misunderstanding around it. I became an incredible fan of the concept. And the reason was, it was for me the first time that I saw where cybersecurity increases at the same time usability. And actually, in our specific case at Siemens, when I was CIO there, had a cost reduction effect. And later on, I, I could see how there are other positive effects. For example, during M&A or, or when, we, when we spun off parts of the company, which we could do much easier having the zero trust concept as the basis than if we would have not introduced the zero trust concept. And, and now comes another element looking more into the future. ChatGPT created something which, which we might all call it just an AI hype. I honestly believe, yes, there is a lot of hype in there, but there's also a lot of factual changes in here. And some business models will change radically. And that brings us back, Sean, to the early discussion around digital transformation. I believe we are now in a second very important wave of having a completely different understanding how data actually can be used. And AI is nothing else than a prediction machine, sometimes a more complex, sometimes less complex. But it has always one common denominator, and this is quality data availability and also data ideally in a, in a protected sense. So meaning there's a lot of personal data in there. There's a lot of data in there, customer data, which you want to make sure that you analyze them and you get to the right conclusions, but you'd never want to have this data in the wrong heads. So I believe this will give another very important push into the cybersecurity environment. And there I would recommend anybody who has responsibility for cybersecurity to have a very close look at at a zero trust concept. 
which simplifies many of the requirements we, we do have in this context and helps actually to drive all three factors, higher cybersecurity, better usability, and, and cost reduction. But that's, that's really my, my personal experience as on the user side when I was still CIO at Siemens. Lauren, when the idea for putting together the book was percolating and the, there is some very key through lines within, and one in particular is this idea that cyber risk is business risk. And Dan, in part of his preparation for the show, called out, hey, why is this seen separately? And is it really seen separately? From the research that was being done when the book was coming together, was there a specific observation that you might have made regarding why they might be seen separate? Or is it simply that we're at a point where we're trying to illustrate that, yes, they're interrelated, but they are a little bit different? Because the book does a good job of, of explaining, but at a first glance, you look at it, it's like, well, if it's business risk, why aren't we just talking about business risk? Yeah. And in the book, we definitely cover this concept around how it is very complex and hard to understand and why has it been. And our take on it is that cyber risk is interwoven throughout all areas of, of enterprise business risk. And it is because of that much harder to quantify without having this series tools or oversight in place. So if you don't have a centralized platform, for example, to to have that oversight over the data, it could be difficult to pull it all together. Uh, if you don't have a handle understanding of where all your technology and your data is lying and shadow IT and what other people are doing, it's going to put that risk in place. And the cyber risk then, when that increases, that can increase financial risk, that can increase the instability of an organization. So that's why it's so complex. And I think that it's been in the past not fully understood is where it falls within business enterprise risk. Let me add to it. it. It's obvious for every board member that they have a very clear oversight responsibility for the enterprise risk management. Um, and nobody would ever discuss this. Now, in regard to cyber risk, because it's kind of a world in itself, sometimes some board members might take a step back from it and, and hope that somebody else in the board will take care of it. And that, that goes back, Sean, to the discussion we had here today, how important it is to translate cyber risk into business risk terms, which we did in several areas inside the book, where we are saying, look, you're responsible for business risk. You're responsible for oversight of, of enterprise risk management. Of course we are. Every board member would say right away, absolutely. How are, we, how are we doing on cybersecurity? Yeah, the, the audit committee takes care of it, I think. Well, that's not a good answer. And every board member knows this, honestly. Yes. So what we are trying to do is to translate the cyber aspect of risk into, as, as Lauren pointed out, business risk, financial risk, so that it becomes much more tangible for a board member. And again, there, I think it's so critical. The whole board has the responsibility. You cannot delegate this simply to one board member. There might be different experience levels inside the board. That's very natural. That's also in the financial arena. It's in, in certain businesses and in, in, in end markets. That's exactly why you want to have a, a, a board that, that has diversity of experiences and thoughts. 
But at the end of the day, you all need inside a boardroom a minimum experience and knowledge on cybersecurity. And that's what we wanted to express by this, by translating some cybersecurity aspects into general business language. One thing that did come up is in the context of the translation and how that can get better across the board from the operational folks within cybersecurity or IT, really at the strategy level between the ELT and at the board. If we were to just say, hey, there's one takeaway I would really love for other fellow board members to take away from the book, and it may be more than one. What would you say, Helmuth and, and Lauren, that uh, they should keep top of mind? Cyber risk is a continuous journey, and it's going to be that way for board members and for the C-suite. I think that with specific rulings coming out in the recent uh, past and about to come as well, such as the SEC cyber ruling, it, it remains to be seen what that's going to be that's going to impact things. And I think people are on a bit of an edge of a seat right now, waiting to find out, is this going to be something that's going to pass by the wayside and will be easy for organizations to report on? Or is this going to now put a major, major focus on cyber risk and publicity and, and whatnot on organizations negative that they might not want to have and might not have had before? So I think it's important for board members to just stay involved, engage, and grow and learn on the topics as much as they can as the industry changes. I couldn't agree more with everything that Lauren said. The only thing I would add is um, cybersecurity is neither rocket science nor a secret science. And uh, every board member can add significant competence in the area, which really helps their company to make sure to become more safe, more secure, and more resilient. Helmuth and Lauren, I appreciate you both making the time to join us on the show. If the audience would like to check out the book, either get a physical copy or the ebook itself, what would be the best place for them to find it? Best way to find it would be going on to zskiller.com. And we have it featured on our main page. So you can Click the link there as well as within our resources. We have it as an ebook. And you can reach out to the Z Scaler team if you have interest in getting a copy, and we'll be able to get that over to you. Great. Helmuth Ludwig, Lauren Wise, thank you both for the great work that you've created with this new book. Tons of excitement around it. Uh, I know I've been enjoying my read through. And just thank you so much for providing both of your insights. Sean, it was a real pleasure and all the best to your audience. Thank you, Sean. You've been listening to the CISO's Gambit. I'm your host, Sean Cordero. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a comment and subscribe. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act 
of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com.